0: David running full blast at that giant. And you know the rest of the story. David let that sling go. The stone hit Goliath right between the eyes and Israel prevailed. The difference was one of perspective. The Israelites saw everything from man's perspective. And David had a divine perspective. And I think our perspective even as we're walking through this time, makes all the difference. Do we see our problems from above, from a divine perspective, and have hope? Or do we see them from a ground level and have despair? Now, our Christian walk does not promise smooth sailing, really. I mean, day by day, we Are confronted with challenges that test our faith. And that's one reason I wanted to look at the story of Lazarus today uh, and kind of look at how it tested people's faith, how there was a divine or heavenly perspective, and the ground level perspective. You know, the, the story of raising Lazarus from the dead, makes up the entire chapter, uh, chapter 11 of John, and that's where we're going to be. So if you want to go ahead and, and turn to John chapter 11, it's one of the most critical events in John's gospel, and I don't know if you realize this or not, but this is the last miracle Jesus performs before his entry into Jerusalem and his crucifixion. Now, for us, As readers of the story, we have the privilege of knowing this triumphant uh, ending. But Mary and Martha, all those who loved Lazarus, for them, his death and burial must have felt like a day without hope. So we see the ground level perspective, our human level perspective in Mary and Martha, and we see the divine perspective from Jesus. Now, Jesus, let me give you a little background. Jesus had left Judea because the Jewish authorities had attempted to arrest him. That's in John 10. He had crossed the Jordan River and was ministering uh, where John uh, the Baptist had been baptizing. Now, while he was there, a personal emergency uh, a rose back in Bethany. And we read about this in the first part of chapter 11 in verses one and two, where it says, now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. Well, this emergency involved a special family of three, you know. Mary loved to sit at the feet of Jesus and and listen to him and listen to his teachings. And Martha was just as devout, but she was a more busy, kinetic soul, who who had had the gift of service. And for for Martha, uh, she was always wanted to be about doing things. Now and then there was Lazarus. And we really don't know too much about him. Well, this family was really dear to Jesus, and he he had a unique personal affection for them. But now things had changed, and the household was in disarray because Lazarus was gravely ill, and it appeared that he could die at any time. And pale, worried women, it's like they were scurrying about the house. No wonder they sent for the Lord. So the sisters sent a message to him: Lord. The one you love is sick. This was not an invitation or even a request. They didn't say, Lord, please come. I mean, they just assumed that as soon as the Lord heard of this situation, he would hurry there. They knew Jesus. They knew of his wonderful compassion. And the word used for love here is the word for a very tight, very tight friendship. They were saying, your good friend whom you love is sick of course Jesus would come. To think otherwise would be inconceivable. But Jesus's answer in verse four gives us a hint of what was going to happen. It says, when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. In other words, Death would not be the ultimate tragedy here. Something very different, very unusual was about to happen and it would bring Christ glory. And right here, reading John's account, we learn the purpose of raising Lazarus from the dead. It's for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, in stating that he will be glorified, Jesus is not declaring that he's now arrived to save the day that he will be admired and praised as a hero rather he's really declaring that the raising of Lazarus is the final step that will bring about his own death now the, the heart of the text is coming up but first we read we read this we read Uh, it says Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. You know, if when we first read this, if we read, now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus, we would immediately think that Jesus would go to his disciples, say, get me the fastest transportation that you can, and wrote, and he would have wrote as fast as he could to see Lazarus, but that's not what happened. It says he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus so much that he stayed away. Again, from our human perspective, it seems and it appears that even though we are Christ's children and we love him and know that he loves us, I think we might struggle sometimes and ask the question, does he not care about us anymore? I think about Joseph being sold into slavery. He ended up in Potiphar's household and by hard work, integrity and devotion, he rose to the top of Potiphar's household only to be toppled and thrown in prison because he would not compromise himself with a Mrs. Potiphar. He ended up in a foul Egyptian jail. From the surface, from the ground level, it appeared that God had forsaken him. Here was Joseph. He had honored God as a young man, and yet it seemed like God did not care about him any longer. But we know the story of how this was all a part of God's bigger plan to bring about the protection of God's people. Think about when a Christian is falsely accused and pleads with God to bring, to bring evidence to clear him, and it is only after his reputation is ruined that evidence comes that he was innocent all along. When we plan some great event, when we plan crosswave meetings and they all get canceled, the whole thing falls through we wonder, well, God, didn't you care about this? You know, I think we've got to be honest and, and admit that there are times when it's frustrating, more than frustrating, and we really ask God, what's going on? And that's another reason that this whole chapter helps us out and elevates our perspective. It explains Christ praying. Uh, we We see that no matter how it may appear, delays are delays of love that's what the text that's what the text says even when we're being tossed and turned ravaged by the events of life struggling in a crisis this chapter says that god still loves us there are so many chapters or so many verses including this that talk about how God loves us, and delays are delays of love. You know, God is all-powerful. He can do anything. He sees all. He knows all. Scripture says he even knows when when a sparrow falls to the ground. He knows their plight, and he cares. So how are we as earthbound creatures to understand God's love? Well, we've got to recognize that we're never going to completely comprehend his workings. We cannot expect to know the details, all the answers, and all the reasons. If we spend all of our time asking why, we would be using our time very unwisely. You know, to to move on, here's the Lord, and for two days... Jesus calmly goes about his work far away from Mary and Martha and the dying Lazarus. I can just imagine that Mary and Martha probably went outside every hour to see if their Lord was approaching. And then they would go back in and check on their brother Lazarus, go back out. Has Jesus, do we we see him in the distance? And it was after two days that the Lord decided it was time to respond to the sister's urgent message. Scripture goes on to say, then after that, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you and you're going there again? Aren't there 12 hours in a day? Jesus answered, if anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of the world. If anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. And the disciples said, Well, Lord, if he's just fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. And so Jesus turned to them plainly and says, Listen. Lazarus has died, and I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go so that we may die with him. So apparently the disciples initially were not aware of how ill Lazarus really was. They did not think that his sickness would result in a physical death. And then at first they were unaware that Jesus was talking about death when he says, when he's using the term sleep. But Jesus was using a what we would call a metaphor that's from the Old Testament. The book of Kings and Chronicles, they often referred to a king's death by saying he slept with his fathers. And so Jesus was pulling that uh, out of our Old Testament understanding. And to clear up any misunderstanding, Jesus tells the disciples, listen, Lazarus has died and his death, while evil in and of itself, is going to be used to bring about good for the disciples. Lazarus's death is going to provide an opportunity for the disciples to grow in faith. Uh, Jesus, Preston had kind of talked about this beforehand, but jesus knew the nature of lazarus's sickness and jesus knew precisely the moment when lazarus died and jesus was in complete control of all events he was about to do something a thousand times better than healing lazarus from an illness and this would strengthen disciples the disciples faith a thousand fold you see I think it was probably clear at this point that even though the disciples did not understand Jesus's purposes it had become clear to them that he was acting sovereignly orchestrating the events right down to the timing of each detail from the perspective of of, of from their perspective what was happening made very little sense but there was no denying that Jesus was in control now imagine back at the house with Martha and Mary. Lazarus's uneven, uneven breathing had become less and less regular and finally stopped. His exhausted sisters, their cry had gone up from the house to the streets around. They prepared Lazarus for burial, putting a white linen gown on him, wrapping him lovingly with bandages and spices. And then Mary and Martha led a procession to the grave. You know, at the grave, there were probably some memorial speeches. The the mourners uh, formed some some sort of a gauntlet and wailed loudly as the sisters walked slowly back home. By the time our Lord Jesus arrived in Bethany, it was the fourth day the day when there was no more hope. You see, Jewish belief taught that after three days, the soul would leave the body and corruption would set in. And so for for those who mourned Lazarus, there was no hope of resuscitation, no hope of saving him now. The fourth day was truly a day without hope. And yet, this is the day that Jesus shows up on to verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been dead, had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother, and as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained in the house. You know, Martha had evidently quietly Uh, slipped away when she heard that Jesus was outside of Bethany she went to meet him and there she stood pale grieving weary I'm sure no doubt disheveled Martha looked at Jesus and said Lord if you had been here my brother wouldn't have died I'm sure that those words had probably come forth from both Martha and Mary's lips over the past few days. The wait had been agonizing as they wondered, when will the Lord get here? You know, Martha no doubt believed that Jesus had the ability to heal the sick. He did that virtually his entire ministry. And she also believed that he definitely would have healed Lazarus from his sickness because he loved Lazarus so but her faith came short of believing that he could raise him from the dead. You know, have we ever asked, have you ever asked the question, where were you, Lord? Where are you? You showed up too late. Where were you when, when my loved one died? Where were you when my child went astray? Where were you when I lost my job? Martha continues and says, yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I want to point out something here that Jesus did not fuss at, he did not reprove Martha for her words. It is not sinful to tell God how you feel. I want to qualify by saying that we should always be reverent toward God. He is God. We're creatures. We must bow to him, but that does not mean we are not allowed to express how we feel to him. I think some of us probably have feelings that ought to be shared with God and we're holding them in. Do not fear. God is more patient and accepting than we ever realize. You know, God wants us to pour out our hearts to him. He accepted when David poured out his heart to him. He accepted it when Martha did. Now notice what Jesus' response was to Martha. He said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, oh, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But it's as if she were saying, Lord, I know. Of course he will but Lord, what about the present right now? I'm hurting. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? This is the high point, the pinnacle of this narrative believing that Jesus is the resurrection and the life for all those at that time was aided by this uh, this immense miracle. It really demonstrated that he is the resurrection and the life, the Christ, the Son of God, and believing in his name brings everlasting joy. That's the whole point of the Gospel of John. Toward the very end of the Gospel, it states These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Now, notice Martha's confession. Uh, In verse 27, she says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Martha didn't know about the cross yet, she didn't know about His resurrection because it hadn't happened but she did believe everything that had been revealed up to that point. She had been tested with grief and loss and she had allowed her savior to bring her forth as gold refined in a fire. We may face difficulties, physical and spiritual, and God will bring us forth refined as refined gold in a fire you know while, while Martha was meeting with Jesus Mary was still back at the house now the tradition would have it that uh, in Jewish funerals the mourners were either sitting on the floor or low stools they they had brought all of Mary and Martha's furniture would have been pushed aside uh, after the sisters had returned from the grave Uh there would continue to be mourning. So uh, it's, and it's doubtful that Mary had eaten anything. Probably also very disheveled in appearance because mourners were committed to not washing themselves or not wearing sandals. And this fourth day, that was really one of the peak days for mourning because Lazarus's body had begun to decompose. Now, Mary at home had no idea. Of what was going on between Martha and Jesus. But now notice how Jesus enters in to their grief. Having said this, Martha, she went back and called her sister Mary and said in private, the teacher is here and calling for you." And as soon as she heard this she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with Mary, in the house they saw her get up and they quit and and go out quickly so they followed her so thinking that she was going to go to the tomb and when mary came to where jesus was and saw him she fell at his feet and said lord if you had been here my brother would not have died there's that refrain again it was a so much mourning coming over their lips and then in verse 33 one of the most beautiful and i think deepest truths in scripture when jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled the word the word the phrase translated or was deeply moved really implies that jesus let out a almost an involuntary gasp he was so caught up with both sisters emotion that he involuntarily gasped he felt their sorrow with everything he had and notice that the verse ends by saying he was troubled when this is some translations might even say he was angry it's a it's a strong greek verb that indicates jesus was not merely concerned a word but really angry and it seems like he was most most likely angry about the occasion of death itself it's important for us to remember that although God is sovereign, even over death, and that at death is the moment when believers enter heaven, death itself is an evil thing and not a part of God's original creation. Death is an invader, an intrusion that Adam brought forth into the world through his sin. Death is an enemy that will be destroyed. And of course, Christ was angry at death. And so should we. And finally, here at this point, when Jesus sees that death has taken Lazarus, he weeps. Verse 34 and 35, where have you put them, he asked. Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Tears ran down Jesus's face. Imagine Jesus made himself vulnerable. He stopped to feel the sting of death, to identify with frail humanity, to identify with those who struggled to know hope. We have a great God and Savior who loves us, who delays and stays away, who allows us to go through difficulties, and then he comes and enters into our sorrow. He enters into our sorrow and begins to weep. This is the perspective Christ wants us to have. If you're struggling, if you're hurting, he wants you to know that he weeps with you. Jesus is not some stiff, impassable God, and neither is God the Father. Father. Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And so since Jesus knows our pain, God, too, fills it with us. We cannot know all the specifics, but when we experience delays... We need to believe, we need to know that they are for our ultimate development. When affliction comes, we need to know that we can pour our heart out to him honestly with no fear of rejection and he will weep with us. Verses 36 and 37 say, so Jesus said, so the Jews who were there said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Now, after these mixed reactions, Jesus was asked to be taken to the tomb. Now, Let me explain. A a typical tomb in those days would have probably eight occupants. It was a hollowed out room, probably in a hillside. It would have three indentions on one side, three on another, and two at the back end. And Lazarus, the tomb could well have been occupied by other bodies from previous years. And you could easily just stand and it would not have been deep, so you could easily look back and see everything inside the tomb. And Jesus asked that the stone be rolled away. Then Jesus, angry in himself again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, he's already been decaying. It's been four days. I can understand how Martha felt. With all the misery that they've suffered, why open the grave and let the stench come out? Well, do you know what happens to a body, a dead body over a period of four days? The Jews do not embalm a body. They do nothing to stop decay. They wrap the body and sprinkle some spices on it to mitigate the smell, but that's it. Think about it. The heart had stopped beating. The body cells deprived of oxygen begin to die. Blood drains uh, from throughout the, the circulatory system and settles in low places. Rigor mortis stiffening of the muscle sets in, and that's after three hours. By 24 hours, all the body heat is lost. By 72 hours, the rigor mortis is gone, all the stiffness is gone, and the body's become soft. All the cells have begun to die. Bacteria is going to work. The bacteria in the body of a dead person begins to attack, breaking the cells down. The decomposing tissue takes on a horrific look and emits green liquids by the 72nd hour. The tissues release hydrogen sulfide and methane as well as other gases. So a a horrible smell is emitted. As the King James Bible translates it, Martha said, Lord, he stinketh. And that's the condition of Lazarus when Jesus arrives at the tomb. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. Picture this, the stone is rolled away. They can peer in and see probably Lazarus' body and possibly other bodies. The eager crowd pressed forward and suddenly grew quiet. Martha and Mary, who had been weeping, stopped and looked up for a minute. And our Lord's eyes, which before had been weeping, were now aglow. And suddenly Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out he spoke loudly in a commanding voice that everyone could hear. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, "Loose him and let him go. Imagine this as the crowd stared into the darkness of the tomb. They saw movement. They saw Lazarus's body edge off the stone, stand erect. And emerge out of the tomb, mummy like into the sunlight. Lazarus came stumbling out of the grave. And as they stood there, probably just stunned out of their minds, Jesus said, Loose him and let him go. Mary and Martha feverishly began to unwrap him. And what you see here is divine power on display, creative power, supernatural power, power that belongs. Only to God understand this is this is divine power that stops decay this is divine power that reverses rigor mortis this is divine power that pours new life into rotted organs starts a bloodless decomposing heart beating again pumping fresh new blood to every organ and every limb this is Jesus This is God. This is divine power that creates a brand new body that creates blood out of nothing and makes it flow fast and fresh. This is the kind of power that takes sightless, decomposed eyes and gives new tissue, new nerve, and new vision. Remember what he told Martha? I am the resurrection and the life. And what about the crowd? Well, verse 45 says, therefore, many of the Jews who came, to, who came to Mary and saw what he did, believed in him. They had seen the glory of God and they believed. Now, all of this was juxtaposed against Jesus's own death that would be coming up soon. Jesus gives life to a dead man And soon, he will give up his life in the same place. Perspective is everything. You know, as believers, we know that our times of sorrow will eventually turn to joy. Revelation promises he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Think we struggle sometimes with our own narrow view. I know I do, trying to see what's going on in the world. Or we can choose, like John chapter 11 here, to be elevated to a divine perspective and see that help is on the way, that God is in control. You know, God's timing is not our timing, His timing, though, is always perfect. If we're tempted to believe that God has forgotten us, we've got to remember that what seems to be a delay to us is actually his working out, his perfectly timed plan for us and his creation. I think that God's sovereign power and his glory always shine brighter when we are weak and life seems out of control isn't it amazing that although things that seem out of control and for us really humanly are out of control well there is one who sits on the throne who is in control he is definitely he's the definition of everything that's wise and good and true and holy and righteous and almighty and he is in very careful control of this world. We don't always comprehend what that means, but we know there is one who rules this world, who's not afraid of this moment in time, who is not weak, who's not confused about what's going on, and who never experiences surprises. We don't always know why he does what he does, but we know who he is, and we know what he has promised us his children. You know, there is a greater global pandemic pandemic than the coronavirus, than COVID-19, and that's sin. Sin is a pandemic that has spread from country to country And we should be reminded of that, that it's much greater, much darker, much more dangerous than COVID-19. It gets everyone from birth. It's the ultimate disease, sin. But look, what's so solely amazing is that there's a cure and you don't have to wait for months. God looked at his world in awesome mercy and love. He sent his son to live as we could not live, to die an acceptable death and to rise again, conquering sin and death, so that there would be a cure for the ultimate disease. And this cure is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ through his amazing grace. We need to have the right perspective. Something more dangerous and more deadly than this Current pandemic uh, has already been cured by the power and grace of Jesus you know though we are separated from others and have to have church virtually there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God you know I love that we can take advantage of technology and gather together But it's not the same. It's not the same as meeting together in someone's home, singing together, hearing a message together, sharing a meal together. It's not the same. But, you know, there's no pandemic. There's nothing in all of creation that is able to separate us from God and his boundless love. God does not turn his back on us. He draws near He draws near to the weak. He draws near to the brokenhearted. He draws near in love and grace, giving us the power and strength to face what we could not face without him. When when you're weary, when you're distraught, you have a place to go. He enters into our struggles and our sorrows. He feels our pain and weeps with our weeping he understands us better than we understand ourselves. He brings joy and resurrection into our afflictions. (laughs) Believing him, we find peace and joy in what we think are delays. You know, we still might ask questions why And there may be questions that aren't fully answered here and now. But we know who God is. We know what he's promised us. And we know that this moment points us to how much we need him. How much we need the one who is greater than us. Who is is greater than any power. Who has greater control than us. Who directs and controls the things we can't. Who is never tired never weak, and never weary. I hope that is your perspective. We call him Lord, and we believe that he is the resurrection and the life, and that he will one day raise us all from the dead. But even now, as the resurrection and the life, he can give life to dead sinners who believe. Let's pray. Lord, Father, thank you for the richness of your word. Thank you for making Christ real to us. We're so thankful that you love us just like you love Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And you've made us family. You've given us new life and it's been made possible, Father, because their sins have been paid in full by your death. Strengthen us, Father, during this time. Father, may this time be a means by which you bring many people to a saving faith in Jesus. Lord, accomplish your purpose for your glory. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.